Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And we are... And that intro was the shortest intro on earth. It was. It was, it was like, there's, there'll be no humor today. Straight to business. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. But that's kind of the point. I hate podcasts with loads of faff at the beginning. Oh, there is that. That's true. Yes. Yeah. It's it's pointless. But but we are going to get on with the news and we're going to talk specifically this week, um, maybe to some detail about Netflix. We did talk about Netflix last week for completely different reasons, um, although they may on some level be connected. This is the news that Netflix is looking to crack down on proxy streaming. What's proxy streaming, you may be asking inside your head. What this is, is where you use a VPN service. Um, I use one called AirVPN. Ian undoubtedly has one as well. And it does one of two things. One thing it does is it encrypts your traffic, which makes it harder for people spying on uh, a local uh, public Wi-Fi network to look at what's being transmitted from your computer or to your computer which is very uh, good for privacy reasons. And the other thing that it often does is it allows your computer to tell a server that it is in a country that it is in fact not in. A good use for this, and one of the things I use it for, is if I'm traveling outside of the UK and I want to access the BBC iPlayer, I can't, but I can use my VPN to use a server located in the UK to tunnel my traffic through, therefore the BBC thinks I am in the UK. And I personally think this is a fine thing to do because I am a legitimate user of the BBC iPlayer. However, this is where the controversy, com- controversy comes in, it is possible to do this for Netflix as well. And Netflix around the world has many, many different local catalogues of TVs and movies, TV shows and movies. Um, but some countries have, you know, only a fraction, sometimes as little as 10% as what its primary catalog in the US has. This means that it's very, very tempting to sign up for Netflix in one country, but use a VPN to use the catalog of another country's that maybe has more to watch that you want to watch than your local catalogue has. Before now, Netflix has not really cracked down on this. They've not really you know, made a big stink about it. But now that it's going to be in 130 countries worldwide, it seems that part of its deals with many of the content providers that it has deals with um, is that it has to crack down on this. Now, we don't exactly know how it's going to crack down on this, um, do it, Ian. But no. all we know is that it is that it wants to, and I've got a couple of suggestions well, I don't, of ways. I don't think it does want to. Actually, I think it's being made to. But that's fine. Uh, that was inevitable. Yes, I mean, it, I, there was a quote from the co- the CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, that said, "If all our content were globally available, there wouldn't be a reason for members to use proxies or unblockers to fool our systems into thinking they're in a different country than they're actually in. In the meantime, and I, and that word, meantime." is a key one, I think. Mm. We will continue to respect and enforce content licensing by geographic location. So the two key points in that, as I see it, is that they are bound by licensing restrictions, which we know, and this happens in music as well. This is why sometimes you can go to iTunes to buy a song from a tweet from an artist, and it says, sorry, there's not this release is not available in your country. 
these are artificial digitally enforced restrictions that are something of a, a business hangover from you know back when record labels could just release the record in a country and they've kind of followed into the digital age with um some controversy attached and the meanwhile is the other part or in the meantime of his quote because as you say you don't think they want to and hopefully they are pushing to have a universal catalog which would be better for everyone including the rights holders who would you know get more access to customers which would be fantastic yeah and 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 this is uh, uh, well, it's it's the core issue really isn't it and i do i i have some sympathy for netflix because i know that they must be under enormous pressure from the companies that they do business with every day to stamp this sort of proxying out and uh, and obviously when you're under pressure like that it it makes doing deals a lot harder and that means that prices go up and that that means that their service becomes quite difficult to uh, to manage um but what i i mean I have used a proxy a couple of times for things like Hulu and stuff like that, but never really exhaustively because ultimately I don't really need to. Um, uh, if I can't find it on Netflix or Amazon, I'd be much more inclined to download it through another method, I, w- I would say. Um, and I think that's the problem, really. I think I think rights holders need to get to grips with pretty quickly is that, uh, you know, Netflix said at their press conference at CES, if you give customers a fair price uh, uh, and then you know they'll take it every time over piracy and they gave some statistic about managing to get uh, piracy down on one particular title by 14 percent in uh, australia and and i I just thought well that is actually a a proper number it it, you know it's not by 0.4 percent or something like that you know they actually having stuff readily available is is the cornerstone of cutting down piracy and if it's not available on Netflix or Amazon or, you know, say another service, I mean, there are other other options out there, aren't there? We talked about Crunchyroll last week. Then, um, well, then it, it becomes very difficult and annoying, doesn't it, for the consumer? It really does. And at the moment, because we want to focus on the UK aspect on this, the, the numbers that the, the most recent numbers I could find suggest that the UK has about half the total catalogue of Netflix in the US. And there are some shows, TV programs and movies that are available in the UK that are not available in the US. Absolutely. This isn't isn't that the US has everything but and every other country just has some uh, subset of that group. There are many that are not available in the US because of, again, rights holders in the UK here. I was going to say, one of the problems is that I think I think there's a real problem with expectations of of, of customers, and um, I, I, we're going to have to get used to the fact that for the kind of money that Netflix charges every month, we are never going to have a service that has every film and TV series that we want on it. It's just Why? not possible because it's just not possible. You could not do those deals. I don't think it would be. First of all, it would be extraordinarily time consuming to to do, and I think that stuff will always get left aside. Um, but second of all, it, I don't. I just don't really think it's enough money for them to be able to do it. I mean, as the service grows, perhaps that will be, but won't be an issue. But you're talking about doing a deal globally for for content, and that's you know that's really expensive. If the movie industry, the TV industry, the music industry, if they ever want to truly crack down on piracy to the point that it it has mitigating, it has basically mitigated the consequence of any piracy then you do need to have worldwide deals. Now, I agree with what you're saying. It can't happen because worldwide deals can't happen right now. But then let's think 15 years ago, we wouldn't have thought that we could ever have DRM-free 
downloads of songs or streaming catalogs that are fully legitimate i mean these are deals that do take a long long time to create well to be honest with you yes you're i mean you're right of course and for a business like netflix it makes a huge amount of sense for them to be to, to talk globally and actually it probably would be that re- relatively easy um what you got to consider about the, the deals that movie studios particularly do and of course this applies for tv as well is that it's quite obviously movies cost a lot of money and that money obviously costs is you know has to be there up front and that's one of the reasons they do distributor deals so they say well look we can't afford to give you the full hundred million dollars for this movie because we aren't sure it may be a flop it's a huge risk for one company to take so they do a deal with a distributor and they say well you you give us x million and we'll you know then that'll be your movie to distribute uh, globally um, it might be one of those, or you know, in other regions, it might be one of those things where they have to start being just a little bit more clever about how they negotiate those deals. It might be that, um, you know, if you're in for, uh, you know, you might get cinema revenue, but you would they would exclude you from revenue after that, you know, so, you know, DVD and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe they increase the amount of money or increase the share you get if you finance uh, when you sell on DVD or something. There must be a way of, you know, making it up. Or maybe we're going to see these sort of distributors go away a bit and, uh, you know, and, and companies will, movie studios will uh, just self-fund. But I think that would be bad because what it will lead to is the thing that people say they hate about movies, which is, um, you know, Avengers 4 and, uh, you know, and and films where there's very little imagination shown in the creation and it, it, you just get the same thing over and over again and remakes of things, you know, Ghostbusters remade with ladies and, and things like that. I'm not that I object to that particular example, but, you know, other things where really, you know, Point Break, why are we remaking Point Break, really? Let's talk a bit about how a circumvention of VPNs could be possible. Now, the way that I see it is that one thing Netflix has above all else is a pay model, which means that you have to pay for Netflix. Even if you have a free trial, you have to register. And that means they know at least the country most likely to be the one that you are in. Because most people, and I would imagine the overwhelming vast majority of people who use Netflix, are at least paying for it using, you know, their local credit card. You know, they're not yeah. signing up with a US credit card or some sort of alternative. You, you can do that with iTunes by putting in a iTunes, creating an iTunes US store account and buying a US iTunes voucher, applying it, downloading the DRM-free versions, and then, you know, downloading them on your local machine. You can do that. Netflix is harder to do because it's all streaming, so you have to be connected to the service. And it may just, it may say, well, you're only going to get access to the account uh, from the country within which your payment method is registered. Now, I understand that they have said they're not going to do that, or they haven't said they aren't going to do it, but they haven't said they are. Well, that's interesting if they're not, because that's to me, seems like the most logical way. Yes. The, the other way that I was going to suggest, which seems less robust, but could be done, is you choose the country upon sign up and you're yes. not allowed to change it, which would at least mean that while you can choose to use the US Netflix, you can't choose change it back to the UK one if something that you want comes up on the UK store. I've, I've, just, done a, the I've just done a spine shudder because it's reminding me of Blu-ray region coding. And DVD well, and region DV- coding. And DVD region coding. Yeah, which is, you know, a shower of excrement. Yes, and Nintendo cartridge oh. um, thing, which was also, quote I mean, unquote, a thing. Really, I mean, goodness gracious me. that the, the gaming thing, though, that's particularly obnoxious. 
it's it would be enforceable to some extent. Um, certainly, the be- the easiest way and probably the best way and the most watertight way would be to do as you say to tie the location that you're coming from uh, to the credit card you registered with. And to say, um, well, okay, you may be in the US at the moment on holiday, say, but we're still going to deliver you your UK library because that's your primary account. But they haven't said they're doing that. Uh, We will find out in a few weeks' time whether that is what they're going to do. Um, And and they may do, uh, but I don't think... The thing is, I don't... My my, I honestly don't believe their heart's in it at all anyway. Uh, So I just don't think so. What I suspect could happen is uh, there will be services will spring up that will get around that anyway. So even if you have an account uh, in the UK, I suspect maybe maybe they do a switching thing. So maybe you sign up with someone and, you know, your accounts are sort of merged electronically in the cloud and then you both get access to both sides of the Atlantic, say. So that would be one particular service that you could operate um there already are services uh you know you you linked in our our shared document for this podcast uh you know a, a, a summary of uh what, what you can see all over the world on netflix and there there are linked their services which do exactly that in fact one that i was just told about today purely coincidental by somebody else um d- uh, merges every catalog on netflix global so you can see anything from anywhere in the world uh, and that's quite interesting isn't it because that gives you a one hell of a service it does, and um, that would also show you where the discrepancies are between the two services. Yes, absolutely, and that's useful in itself. And one of the things I have a real problem with, and this is, you know, it's a, it's a silly problem really, is that Netflix isn't really that searchable, is it? And neither is Amazon. Um, what I what I think what I think I don't think I want to watch something on Netflix tonight. I think. I'd love to see X film. I wonder if it's on Netflix or Amazon. And then I have to go through with my clicker and search every blinking service to find out if it's on there or not. Really, I want to have a better way of doing that. And, you know, and so that's one way of doing it, isn't it? But um, that's a tangential point. It is a tangential point. Um, I don't necessarily know how long such a restriction will remain in enforcement for Netflix, because as you say, they don't want to do it and customers don't want to do it. And there's undoubtedly data somewhere that shows that doing it is detrimental to business as well. Probably. So I think this is probably a stopgap to allow them to launch worldwide. And eventually the the sheer might and power of Netflix will allow them to strike deals that were previously unattainable. I don't forget as well. I think I genuinely believe, and, and this applies to me, um, I genuinely do not think that many people do this. I don't think VPN use is huge. Um, I, I, I can tell you that... Most of the people that I know personally who've used VPNs do so because they're expats. Um, so they've moved to, say, the US and they want to keep up with um, iPlayer or they maybe want to stream football from Sky. Uh, that's the most you, often case you hear about. But people actually wanting to switch to, a, you know, to see a different film. I just don't think it's that common. No, I, I've, I use it for almost entirely legitimate reasons, I would like to think. I use it when I'm abroad. I travel a lot. And I use it to watch the BBC iPlayer and I use it to watch Netflix when I'm in the US and sometimes I do want the UK catalogue. But I have on occasion been known to use VPNs to access the US catalogue when something's disappeared from the UK one. Mm. And again, I'm paying for Netflix. I'm not trying to steal money from them. I just want to access content that physically exists on a server. You can't do it on Amazon, you'll know. It's impossible. That's because I don't use it. Well, no, but if you did, you'd know that you can't do it. 
But until then, I'll just have to remain confident that I do not care. Well, this week was a little bit dry in terms of very UK-specific technology, but one thing that was enormously impressive and very exciting for everyone who is interested in space was C- Commander Tim Peake. Is he Commander? Is he Captain? Major? I don't know, actually. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? British He's something. Yeah, British astronaut Tim Peake made his first spacewalk. He is the first official British astronaut to go in residence on the International Space Station. And uh, firstly... Well done, him, and well done, us. Let's pat ourselves on the back. I admit my contribution to his space life (laughs) has been minimal at best, but I like to believe, like all football teams refer to their teams as we, even though they sat in a chair, drank beer (laughs) in a pub, I believe we have achieved something great. And I know that you um, had some experience with one of your kids getting very excited about this too, Ian. Why, why, why do you find this so particularly interesting? Well, this is the thing. So I, I, mean, I tweeted about this in the week because actually I, it's, it's quite easy to dismiss, uh, you know, especially with our meagre space budget, um, it, it, to dismiss it as being unimportant. But actually it, it's, it's really important. Um, and Izzy, my daughter, has been at school. They've, been, they've had a space week. They've been, do, they've been doing show and tell with space stuff. Izzy made a little comet, which I thought was absolutely adorable. Her teacher loved it and stuff. Um, and she was really excited about it. And then when she came home on Friday after doing her uh, little presentation to the class, she told me the name of the person that was in, you know, Tim Peake in space. And I just, um, it was, it's, I just think it's extremely important if we're going to have any chance at all of encouraging our kids into, you know, STEM um, subjects, then we need to have them excited about science. And uh, there's nothing more exciting than seeing a man with a union flag on his arm doing a selfie in space and i'm looking at it now and it's cool man it's really cool even though taking photos in space is nothing new particularly and people doing spacewalks is nothing new it's just cool it's it always makes me smile when i see a photo from space and this one just happens to have a dude from britain on and it's cool that that is that is absolutely fantastic and that just reminds me that the last thing that i watched on netflix using the vpn to access the us catalog was the remake of cosmos Ah, which uh, was absolutely fantastic, and 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 I love that, that. That I don't believe has been shown in this country, has it? So there's a good example of something, actually. Yeah, and I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna buy it on on iTunes just to show my support because I think it was yeah. fantastic, as was well, indeed the original. With, um, yeah, with Neil, the, the the remake was Neil deGrasse Tyson, wasn't it, it? It's wonderful how it encapsulates the sentiment of the original. I think it was it was very 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 good, and it's well, one Carl Sa- Carl Sagan's his uh, you know his like hero. Yeah, exactly, and they they were good friends. I think so. It was fantastic, yeah. but maybe that's something that you should watch with uh, with your daughter if she's interested. Yeah, and certainly, absolutely. mate, I can lend you many books if you like photos from space. And wait till you find a book of sp- photos from space. Oh, which but brilliant! I, I should, lend. well, I should get Izzy one, really, because because the thing is, it you know, it it seems perhaps unimportant. I mean, you know, space is always going to be cool, uh, but you never know. You never know what thing it is you say to a kid that makes them realise they want to do something. You know, and you know, I don't mind what she does, but if she happens to be into science in some way, that'd be awesome. Mm. Well, well done, Tim Peake, uh, from all of us, by which I mean Ian and I. <laughs> a text message. 
Well, we've got one last little thing we wanted to get to this week, and this is another pseudo-television, or in fact, it's entirely television-related. We're now at the mercy of machines, and a battle the likes of which we've never seen before is about to begin. Robot Wars is coming back to its spiritual and, indeed, actual home, the BBC. This is brilliant. We recently watched some of the original Robot Wars episodes um, that were hosted by none other than Jeremy Clarkson initially, looking at some sort of faux Top Gear-esque goth in a full-on leather trench coat and what looks suspiciously like those enormous boots, uh, New Rocks, they're called New Rock boots that a lot of uh, goths wear, and there is a chance that I once previously owned a pair. Um, And this, uh, this is great news. The show's coming back. This is where robots of increasing... Uh, style and brutality beat each other up with, um, you know, forks and kitchen implements and various other things, at least based on the original. It was a little bit underwhelming, I have to say, watching the original recently that they didn't really do anything. Like the the, the house robots, things like Sir Killalot and uh, and a bunch of the others, they had pretty badass weaponry, but the, the, the contenders were, you know, some of them had a spike that went forwards very quickly, and they were essentially just slightly more violent remote control cars. <laughs> um, but, but as you know, tradition suggests, when things get rebrought back, they come back with a bit of extra budget for something like this, and uh, they're building a, a, or at least creating an entirely new custom-built studio with a new state-of-the-art cameras. I read somewhere to capture the action close yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely, which is, they've uh, been is fantastic. Well, it is because obviously, you know, the original was a long time ago and camera technology was, you know, poor, really. Uh, and now you can put a camera on anything, can't you? And you can get a really nice picture out of it. So it will it will add a certain dimension to it. It's not the be all and end all. Um, yeah. But, but one of the interesting things I, I had a conversation, I, I had a thought, actually, as I was reading the news and I was thinking, why was it called Robot Wars? They weren't really robots, were they? And you, and you just said exactly the same thing. You know, they're they're basically, um, as perhaps as Jeremy Clarkson would say, you know, uh, remote control cars on acid or something like that. Yeah, um, I know because, what you mean. It's more like car pushing and shoving. But yeah. it just you wouldn't so, get a com- you wouldn't get it past a commissioning editor at the BBC in 1998 saying what we're going to do is we're going to put some you know, like little radio controlled cars. We're going to strap <laughs> knives to the front and drive them into each other. They'd say that sounds quite a lot like bumper cars. And, yes. And, that's and not, also very boring. That's not a thing. But, no. But, this... but, 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 but when it comes back, what they should absolutely do, and this was the, one of the problems with Robot Wars towards the end, as you probably remember, and one of the reasons I think it ended up getting cancelled was that there would just be a certain amount that you could do that would make your robot undefeatable. And um, and a lot of, and the house robots were largely undefeatable, weren't they? And that that's fine to some extent because you know they were they were they played it well. They were timed. They weren't always out. Um, but what what would be awesome this time round is if they said, well, you know, you have to pre-program or you have it has to be a robot in the sense that it makes decisions as it's going, and perhaps a portion of that would be so you'd either have it would either drive based on robotic decisions or it would its weaponry would work that way um to, to, you know so that basically you have to have some real skill you have to program it right you have to turn it into an actual robot in order to and i'm you know maybe that's a little bit too, too high brow kind of thing but you know it would uh, make it a bit more interesting i think indeed and hopefully philippa forrester will come back and, <laughs> and graces with her presence um for the reboot Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's show. Um, I don't believe we have a date yet for the reboot of uh, the thing that I just said. Summer, I think. Summer, is it? 
I believe so. Or later in the year, I think, was the actual date they gave. I see. Okie And it's only six episodes, and it's an hour. Yes. I did read somewhere that one of the original contenders wants to come back to, uh, <laughs> to make a new robot and, and re-battle, which would be quite interesting to see the... Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. Do you remember the one uh, that was sort of coated in sort of red and white felt and went up against one of the robots with a flamethrower? Yeah. And the, the, the drivers on the team all wore waistcoats made out of the same felt. And I can just remember then and when I rewatched it recently thinking, why on earth would you put felt on a robot, particularly when you're putting your robot in front of fire? Yes. And the inevitable did happen, didn't it? Well, it yes, it got, it, got, it got burnt off. Yeah. And then you had to spend 30 seconds on the television explaining how that was a disappointment. <laughs> Frankly, I wish it had happened sooner. Anyway, that's going to do it. Um, thank you, everyone, for your reviews. Um, I mean, we are well, well over the 100 five-star review mark in iTunes. Um, but as ever, now is the time to continue leaving them. Uh, we love them. They help us get seen and noticed. It's more use to us and certainly more appreciated um, than any kind of financial donation. Um, even though we did have somebody write in recently to say that if we did open up the donation box, um, they'd be happy to donate. All we want is... That's very kind, doesn't it? it? I is, mean, it at least it makes you realise that you're appreciated, even if we aren't particularly interested in it yeah i mean it's it's word of mouth word of mouth and a good review uh, goes a very long way and thank you and keep the emails coming in podcast at natelangson.com we want to hear your thoughts do you remember robot wars philippa forrester jeremy clarkson got some memories put them on the back of a postcard shove them towards us we'll look at them won't we in and we'll talk yes, about we will them. of course yeah i'd love to read feedback yes indeed and until next time toodle pip Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.